Hey there, this is Ben Currier, self-proclaimed world's number one failure. In this podcast, we'll learn about the hardest moments my guests faced and the failures they endured on their path towards making it. I hope you enjoy. Hey there, friends of failure, and welcome to this week's episode of the Failure Guy podcast. I'm here with my friend Travis Chapel. Travis, how are you doing? Ben, what's up, dude? Thanks for having me. Not too much is up. Uh, what's up with you? Yeah, kind of the same, you know, kind of a little bit of everything, a little bit of nothing all at the same time. That's a good mix. Yeah. <laughs> I tell people basically it's all the same, just a lot more of it, you know? Yeah. What part of the world are you in? I didn't even... Las Vegas. Vegas. I was there actually pretty recently because I just uh, I just drove from Kansas City to Coachella. I was at Coachella last weekend and then I drove back. Nice. So one of the ways I went through Vegas, but uh, I'm a fan of Vegas. Do you like living there? It's a good spot, man. Yeah, it's a good spot. We like it a lot out here. So what usually typically what I do is I let the guest do what I call a shameless brag or a humble self-promotion. Maybe pump yourself up and flight yourself before we start talking about failure stuff so that we can give you a little bit of a boost before we talk about some of the more difficult times. Sure. I don't know how much of, uh, of a brag it is, but I'll kind of give like a brief synopsis. Uh, so started in door-to-door sales out of college, did that for a few years, uh, did pretty well with it. And then uh, decided that I wanted to learn how to make money online because I wanted to work remotely and uh, started a podcast and quickly learned that it wasn't going to turn into money unless I made it turn into money. And so started learning more principles about online business, online marketing, things like that. Started um, uh, The podcast started doing well, leaned into it a little bit, started doing podcast coaching, podcast uh, consulting for entrepreneurs that wanted to build in content strategies mm-hmm. to their business and turn that into a course that we started scaling. And uh, through all of that, figured out a couple of the big pain points for people was they didn't know how to get booked on shows to grow their own audience and build their offers and sell more stuff. They didn't know how to book great quality guests to increase their credibility, their no like, and trust with their audience and make it easier for them to get booked on other shows and things like that. So we decided to build a software back in 2020 called Guestio, which is kind of the main focus at the, at the moment. We launched that beginning of 2021 for, we were focused mainly on the shows booking guests, realized that uh, over a bunch of months of data and iterations and features that the people that were actually more willing to pay were the people that wanted to get booked on the shows because it was a traffic source for their business. And so we uh, started attacking that angle a little bit more toward the end of last year. And now at the beginning of 2022, uh, launched our first marketing campaign about a month, month and a half ago and launched an agency version of the software where basically instead of you getting in and doing it yourself and pitching yourself onto shows or pitching guests to come on your show, uh, you basically pay us and we do all the work for you. So we launched that in January and uh, and now that is uh, already become a, a seven figure uh, seven figure business. On you know the run rates seven figure run rate, um, growing about thirty to forty percent over uh, month over month. And then my show, Build Your Network, that I started about five years ago, being able to interview some of the top people out there, Shaquille O'Neal and, and Rob Deerdeck and uh, Molly Bloom and Grant Cardone and some of these other people that a lot of people like like to follow and listen to. Been blessed to have those people on my show that's gotten over a couple million downloads now. Uh, have a new show that we launched that uh, got 50,000 downloads month one. Um, so uh, just trying to trying to work on everything and keep pushing everything forward. Hell yeah, dude. That's awesome. And then, yeah, I saw your, uh, your rollout of the new Guestio stuff. You got some pretty heavy hitters on there. Yeah, yeah. On, on, on the application you're talking about? Yeah, because I mean, basically for people who don't know, you can also, you can basically pay to 
secure guests, especially high profile ones are a little bit more yep. expensive. Yep. I just sorted by price and looked at the top, the top ones. Cause it was, it was interesting, but uh, so you've been doing podcasting for five years. Yep. Is that when you started your whole journey in that, or did you do anything before that? Cause I mean, that's pretty early on still, but I think what podcasts have been around for what, like 13, 15 years, something like that. Yeah. Like 08 or something. Okay. Um, right, right around the time where the first, they, they were out like a little bit before the first iPhone came out. Um, but really right around the time where the first iPhone came out because of the Apple podcast app. Is that what triggered it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at first it was just iTunes. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, it existed before just on desktop. It's just that nobody really knew about them. And there was like, you know, a 500 to a thousand total podcasts in existence at the time. And now there's what, like 3 million plus. Yep. Over 3 million. Yeah. I think I've heard um, probably only about a half a million to 700,000 that are active though. I was going to say, I heard some like 400 something thousand are the ones that are like still going. Cause I keep thinking like, wow, 3 million is a lot, but a lot of people just give up when they see those no downloads happening after you know months of, of doing it. Exactly. Uh, I know me one year into it, I still was getting one download a day kind of thing, but I wasn't promoting it. I wasn't doing all the right stuff. I was just trying to, what I say is fail it till you nail it instead of fake it till you make it. So I just figured I'd just do what I can control, which is uh, how many I make. Uh, rather than the reception of it. And then it eventually catches on, but a lot of people give up like a lot earlier on. So you uh, not only try to help people monetize it, but also try to figure out how to get more of an audience and just figure out their overall space in the, in the podcasting world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When my show started doing well, people just were like, Hey, how did you, how did you do well with the podcast? It seems like I can't figure it out. You know, I can't like, how, how did you, how did you get that guest on your show or uh, I saw that you were on bigger pockets. How did you get booked on that show as a guest? You know, like I'll just, just different questions like that kept coming up. And so I uh, leaned into it started building out a coaching program, took on a bunch of one-on-one clients. And then over, after a while, once we kind of had a formula for that, we filmed everything that we would teach one-on-one and turn it into a course and started selling that one to many. Hell yeah. But then, uh, but then, yeah, like I said, the, the, the problem kept coming up over and over again, and uh, there wasn't really a great solution on the market. So we diverted our attention away from just selling information and moved into the software build. That's really cool. So what, is, without giving away too much, is there any specific uh, tips you'd give to people who are either starting podcasting or are struggling to get guests? Like you're saying, is there any like general tips that don't give too much of your secret sauce away? Yeah. Well, I mean, general tips are just kind of the ones you hear all the time is like, you got to commit to being successful because if you don't, the pain of putting out episodes to crickets will overwhelm you and make you quit before you see any success. Um, so I tell people all the time, like the key to any type of success in any content, whether it's podcasting, YouTube, TikTok, whatever, is committing to consistent quality content with context consistent quality content with context. Context meaning you're putting the, the, the right message in front of the right audience, right? You know your niche and you know who you're creating content for. Quality meaning that your the episodes that you're putting out meet a certain standard of quality. And then consistency, meaning that you commit to a certain cadence and you stay on that cadence no matter what. That's where I struggle the most for sure. The consistency piece. Well, only because I, I take the quality content piece really seriously so i can record it an infinite amount of these but editing takes me a good while to make it the quality that i need i gotta sure. let go of some perfectionism you know and like stop at 90 percent complete or whatever the thing is so i can get more of them uh out the gate or look to start monetizing so that you can hire a producer it took me 30 episodes to even put an ad for my own company on it 
that's how mm-hmm. weirdly uh, against ads I am, but I'm sure you could uh, tell me reasons not to care. I mean, like to embrace some of that, but uh, I, I wanted to make sure I had, had like as little friction as possible for the listener at first, at least. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's other ways to monetize besides doing ads for other people's stuff. You know, like I didn't, I didn't do ads for other people's stuff for like two and a half years. Probably it was all my own offers. Nice. They were fueled by my podcast audience. That was my form of monetization. And so I would take that money that I made and pour it into marketing more. And so uh, getting guests and stuff like that, it seems like now your platform can help people do that. But back when you were doing it yourself, what were your tricks of just networking and generally making relationships and stuff like that? The real answer, which is the answer that nobody wants to hear, is that it takes a lot of hard work and persistence over a long period of time. You know, like when you when you're when you're dealing with people that are super busy and have a ton of demands in their time and they're getting hundreds of these types of reach outs, you know, depending on the person on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, you uh, you have to do different things to be able to differentiate yourself and stand out. And if you don't have a ton of downloads and your show's not massive yet, that's pretty difficult to do to to kind of to kind of cut through the noise and stuff. And so uh, I, I found that I found that networking and being persistent and putting out a ton of content and consistently up leveling the guests that I was talking to made it easier to continue to go continue to level up the guests that I was talking to. So that was that was always my angle, which is why I lean so heavily into that and why I think it's so important uh, is that you got to give people the, a reason to listen to you, especially if you're like me and you're starting from scratch. Like I didn't have an existing audience on a platform. Mm-hmm. I wasn't starting with us with an email list or uh, eight figure business. Like I was starting everything completely from scratch. Nobody knew who I was. Yeah. So I had to you know figure it all out from the beginning, starting from nothing. And if nobody knows who you are, then why are they going to listen to you? Mm-hmm. My, I used to call it podcrastinating, but my main business is teaching Excel online. And so I was like, I'm, I want to do anything else. So I was just like, I'll just do a podcast. And what should I do it on? I had already had the failure plate. I was going to write a book on mm. the power of fucking up or why I'm happy I was fired from every job I've ever had or whatever the, the title was going to be. I was like, oh, I should do a podcast instead because I can interview successful people about their failures. So uh, along the podcast route, has there been any failures along the way that stick out to you as memorable learning experiences? No, dude, I never fail. (laughs) (laughs) I've had guests do that and then never been released. (laughs) Wait, really? You've had guests say that? Uh, There's one lady who talked about God for every sentence, but two, and it was all about how God made it so she couldn't fail. And I was like, okay, well, I'll pretend this is a podcast episode, but I'm just waiting for this to be over. <laughs> Not releasing this to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you know the point of this show? Uh, but <laughs> yeah, dude, failure. Uh, it's not just like a part of success. It's like the barrier to entry. Yep. It's a price. Yeah. It's like people look at it like I may, I like I might fail or maybe I'll fail and that would be a bummer. It's like, no, like don't even like you absolutely will, mm-hmm. but who cares? Yeah. Every successful person has started with failure. Yeah. If you don't do anything, you fail by default. So at least fail while trying to do it, you know, <clears throat> at least be willing to do it. Yes. You know, a lot, a lot of people don't like stepping outside of their comfort zone. And then once they do it and it doesn't work out, they, they don't do it multiple times. Yeah. They use that as validation for why they were right. Yes. And, or, or why the opportunity is a scam, right? You get those people a lot like, oh, well, that's a scam or that guy's a scam artist because yeah. I bought his nine his $900 course and I didn't become a multimillionaire in yeah. 30 days. So he's a scam artist. It's like, well, maybe you just didn't do the work. Maybe you didn't commit to the long haul. Maybe you're just scarcity minded and you were looking for an excuse as to why you're never going to be successful and you found it immediately. Sure. You know what I mean? Or you need a new teacher. Maybe that dad didn't drive with you or whatever. Like there's a million reasons why you could 
continue to down the process, but a lot of people just give into the, to give up mode because it's easier, you know, immediately. Yeah. Yeah. They default to that. Yeah. To me, it's just a misunderstanding of, I I, I think a lot of things come back to thinking short-term versus thinking long-term. And I think the majority of people are conditioned to think short-term. And if you can condition yourself to think long-term, you start understanding that fearing failure doesn't make sense as a logical conclusion to a thought process. Because if you fast forward the clock, all the people that you're afraid are that are going to have like negative opinions of you, if you fail, are you even going to know them? Are they even going to be around? Like I, most of the time, no one's paying attention to when you're failing at that. Like when me and you start from nothing, like yeah, worst case scenario, they still don't know you. Yeah. Right. It's just, you're, 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 overestimating how detrimental having a failure is and you're and you're underestimating the feeling that you get when you make something work and it's successful and uh and and to me man like it's as simple as like i fear regret more than i fear failure like times a hundred i would way rather get in give it my all leave it all on the table and fail Mm -hmm. than look back in 10 years and go man i wish i would have yeah. Like, I wish I would have X. I wish I would have Y. Like, I, I wish I would have done this. Wish I would have done that. Wish I would have met that person. Wish I would have spent this money. Wish I would have invested in this. Wish I would have had this experience. And now all of those things have passed. And now I'm 10 years behind. Mm-hmm. And now I'm further away from reaching my goals instead of closer to reaching my goals. Like, I would rather have a string of failures behind me, but pushing me forward into continuous action because I way, 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 way more fear having regret about not having taken action than I fear about taking action and failing with that action. Yeah. Uh, uh, actually a lot of people on their deathbed, that's the main thing they, uh, they express is that they wish they did more things, not they wish they stayed at work, you know, another few hours or whatever the hell the thing is. It's like all the things they didn't do that they wish they did. And so if you, the big risks that they didn't take. Yeah. And so hearing what people on their deathbed are saying, I'm like, okay, I got to get comfortable with that stuff because I do not want to be, I mean, I just want to know I gave it my best shot. Yep. Yeah. You're overestimating, again, you're overestimating, you're overestimating how uh, detrimental that failure can be. Or even how much people think about you. They're always thinking about themselves. Like, you know, people, you get embarrassed and then for everybody else, it goes away that day. You might live it out for the next 10 years, but no one's thinking about it, you know? So starts to paralyze you. We overestimate how much people think about us, but we also underestimate how important it is to not give a shit what other people think. Right. Right. Yeah. Like I said, they're, they're not going to be there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And if they are either they'll be your friend or not, but right. You know, uh, you cannot get anywhere without uh seven outside of your comfort zone. And, and like in Western culture, we've glorified security and safety as being the top priority. Mm-hmm. And for most of us, for most of us, again, I know that there's some exceptions to this. For most of us, the biggest risk is not dying of starvation on the streets with, you know, no possessions and no shelter and no food or no, and no water. That's not the worst case scenario. Usually there's a bunch of things that would happen before you get to that point where. Well, right. Or, or you, like a lot of us will at least have a family member or something that would take Mm -hmm. us in if worse came to worse. Like I said, my point is people overestimate the pain of like that rock bottom moment. Like if you really think about what's the absolute worst case scenario, if I invested all this money in this business opportunity, I spend the next three years building it uh, and it goes bankrupt. 
worst case scenario, I can go get a job. Yeah. I can pay my bills. I can make a little bit of money. I can get back into sales or I can try sales. I can do this. I can do like, there's so many other options that you have available to you. Yet people, people let the fear of stepping outside of their comfort zone or the fear of letting go of something okay to, a, to pursue something great. Mm-hmm. They, they let that fear paralyze them and they stay stuck by this like golden handcuffs opportunity because they've been taught to prioritize the security. Yeah the safety over the accomplishing of big dreams or goals that they might have. There's a great quote from Dan Harris, who wrote the book, um, 10% happier. It's about meditation, Mm -hmm. but he says, uh, his dad used to tell him the price of security is insecurity. So Mm -hmm. we've got to be comfortable with being insecure in order to get that. And I think one of the things you were just talking about, like hitting rock bottom, most people fear that, but I've done it multiple times and it's freeing. It's amazing. You can then rewrite your whole story. You can start fresh. And you start fresh with all the lessons that you just learned from having the failure. Yeah. Like the failure is not in and of itself complete failure. Yep. A failure is always an opportunity to learn something. Yeah. I think the worst failure is experiencing something like that and then not learning from it, actively purging the information, you know? Correct. A buddy of mine that I, that I had on the show, Mark, uh, he runs a company called Iconic. They do those like uh, big canvas, uh, like motivational canvas quotes and stuff like that. And they had do licensing deals with Gary Vee and Tom Billy and all these other people. Oh, wow. He said, uh, the way that he put it was really good. He said, make mistakes often, but only make new mistakes. Mm. Don't make the same mistake twice, but always make mistakes. Like, be, be willing to constantly make mistakes, to constantly fail, to constantly yeah. do things the wrong way. But once you do it once, don't do it again. Yeah. So don't, don't be upset with yourself if you fail in a new way, but do be upset right. with yourself if you do the same thing again, when you know right. you should know better. Like, because the, the bottom line is more people fail from lack of action than they do by taking action and failing with the action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you learn so quickly. I don't know, dude, I've done like we're running a seven figure business right now, but it took me, I don't know, 12 different business ideas over the last decade to get to the point where like this one's working really well. Mm -hmm. But everything that I learned in all of those other times, like, you know, the the first one, it would be like abysmal failure, right? The second one is like, Oh, a little bit more success, but ultimately failed. And then this one is like, Oh, a little bit more success, but it then ultimately failed. And then this one's like, Oh, we made more money here. And then it didn't necessarily fail. I just decided to pour my energy into something else because I saw a bigger opportunity here. And this one, like this one was, is still kind of successful, but it's more of a trickle income. And then like, but you're applying the lessons that you learn along the way and you're growing your ability to, uh, to, to learn and implement as well as, uh, working on skill sets that can then take you into the next opportunity and set you up for success on a faster timeline. Yeah. I always try to remember when I ever do something right, it's like, what's the thing I fucked up forever ago that let me do this one right this time, you know, mm-hmm. because a lot of times you don't really grateful for that. Right? Yeah, exactly. Because it, to your point. So like, for you, I would say you're successful at the moment. I don't know if you'd agree. I'm sure you have a, another level of success you want to get to. Yeah. I always, um, somebody, I think it's Ed Milet that always uses the term. Um, he's a great guy, bl- bl- blissfully dissatisfied, <laughs> um, something like that. And, uh, that's always something that I agree with. It's like, dude, I'm elated that, that we're, that we're doing the revenue that we're doing right now. We're working with the people that we're doing. We have the investors that we have, like, I'm, I'm really excited and happy about those things, but also I know that I want this business to be a hundred, like, you know, 10 to 20 times bigger than it is right now. 
So, you know, like, yeah, I'm happy where we are. And I would view it as being better than I was a few years ago, but also I want five years ago to be better than it was now, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, one of my old guests, Steve Sims, he said he's more scared of being in the same place he was last year than he is of not, you know, getting a certain thing or whatever. Steve's a great guy. But the interesting thing is when you meet, when you get to success, I haven't gotten to success yet, but when you get there, people don't know all the stuff you had to go through to get there. And they just think exactly you showed up and appeared and and whatever overnight. Yeah. There's no such real thing as a self-made person or an overnight success. Yeah. yeah. But also a lot of those people don't talk about their failures at that point. They're like, Oh, finally, I don't have to look like a jackass anymore. I'll just, (laughs) you know, that's why I'm trying to do this thing where it's like, no, we need to know. People need to tell others that you got to get used to it right? in order to even handle it, you know? Right. Because it's relatable. Absolutely. It's relatable. It, 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 I, that, that was one thing that I always looked at when I, when I was kind of in, in the trenches and like struggling to get to even six figures, let alone seven figures. It was, I was like, man, what am I doing wrong? Like, am I even capable of doing this? You start to question yourself. You start to buy into the beliefs that you're taught to have your whole life. Mm-hmm. You buy into what the haters are saying about you. That's one of the awesome things about having a podcast. If you don't, if you don't have a podcast, listening to podcasts is fantastic, but having one is even better because you get the firsthand experience talking to these people and, and hearing directly from them about colossal failures. Like I would look at a failure of mine and be like, man, I lost, you know, $10,000 on this deal like that, man, that's so bad. That's so horrible. I remember one time um, we, we, we kind of took a little bit of a risk and did a, a house flip in a different state which we had never done before. Like, and I, I'm not like a house flipper. We do it on the side a little bit with my yeah. parents. You'd never done a house flip or you'd never done it out of state. Never did it out of state. Okay. Um, so we had, we had, pl- we had good experience in a certain area where my dad is a real estate agent. Cause he knows the area really well. Mm-hmm. And we went um, out of state and bought a deal out of state and we ended up losing um, like $20,000 a piece on it or something. And I remember being like, Oh, you're so dejected because at the time, like that was a lot of money to me. It was like, oh man, like this is a, this is, this is like a hurtful, you know, experience. especially when I was thinking that we were going to make 20,000 on it. And then we end up losing 20,000. That's on the it. worst. When you have the expectations and it's like, you already have it. And then right. it gets taken away, even though you never had it. So, so I was kind of in this like, uh, you know, st- type of state. And I jump on this podcast interview. I'm interviewing this guy and he's telling me about, uh, they're, they're doing like large scale real estate developments. And he was talking about how they're putting together this development deal in 2008. They lost $50 million on it. And I was like, oh, that kind of puts my 10 grand, 20 grand into perspective. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just, it's just like much lower stakes. Yeah. It's just 10 grand. It's just 20 grand. Like the, the bottom line is like, look, I know that I'm committed to creating wealth and abundance in my life over the long term. And so if I know that that's the future person that I want to become, mm-hmm. then I have to start thinking about money, opportunity, yep. loss. I have to start thinking about those things the way that that future version of me would think about those things if I have any intention of getting to that to that place. Yeah. And so it, I have to think about it like- You mentioned having Grant Cardone, sorry. You mentioned having Grant Cardone on and his 10X yeah. rule is a perfect example of, of that. Like you got to right. think that way. Right, exactly, exactly. You have, you have to train your mind to think, to think bigger. And so- when you, when you're looking at that, it's like, okay, if I did have $10 million in bank, would I look at $20,000 like a big loss? No, absolutely not. Cause it's not that much money. I know, you know, it's not, it's, 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 it's such a small number comparatively to what I want to create, even though at the time it was a lot to me at the time, mm-hmm. it's still minuscule compared to what I wanted to create. And yeah. so like, like reframing my mind to be like, you know what? 
if things are going the way that I want them to go in a couple of years, like I'll make, I'm making 20 grand in a day, not, yeah. not hoping I can make 20 grand over four months. You know what I mean? It's funny. Cause I've lived both lives cause I've worked in corporate finance and accounting. So I've been using, okay. I've been like tracking money at that level, but yeah. not having it myself. And so yeah. I know what it takes to, you know, what, what kind of expenses, what kind of revenue, stuff like that. But since it wasn't mine, I, I got to like play in that world mm. without, having to be my own stakes. And now when I, right. when I look at my own life, I'm like, sometimes it's messed me up because I'm like, Oh, that's not that much money yeah. from the, from the perspective of someone who has money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But a while back I was like, I, I don't want to make decisions about money. I mean, based on money. So like if there's something that I'm, that I want to do, if I have enough money to do it and it's a good idea. And I, and the only thing that's stopping me is money. A lot of times I'll just do it anyways even if it hurts, like, even if it's too much money for me, but I know it'll get me to where I need to go. Uh, right. But, but that's a dicey uh, way to live. So meaning you got, it's better to have the money first and then get there. But I mean, I remember even just like cashing out my 401k, which I know as a finance guy, like you'd never do that. I didn't yeah. even know you could take a loan against it, by the way. So <laughs> if anybody out there is thinking about it, you can take a loan. Do the loan instead. Yeah. Uh, it's much better. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm I'm happy to do huge bets on myself multiple times and be wrong. But as long as I know that that end goal is attainable, because there's no reason why you or I or whoever can't get there. Uh, it's just a matter of how do we get there? Yeah. And as long as you're putting in the right stuff too, like don't like don't cash out your 401k so you can put it all in Dogecoin. Yeah, 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 of course. Like anytime that I was taking big bets, the majority of the time they were in me. It was a mastermind group. Uh, yeah, I spent a good chunk of that on Tony Robbins for one of their trainings, like three grand or something for one of their uh, yeah, like what a knowledge business blueprint thing to like talk about. Right. How to unlock right. your uh, training abilities and stuff and mastermind stuff. Yeah, like if you're investing into yourself, your knowledge, your 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 skill set, your network, if you're investing into these like kind of intangibles that make you a more valuable person, they're it's never going to not work. Yeah. As long as you do the work. Like I said earlier, you can't just you can't buy a course and mm -hmm. then be like, "Man, why am I not seeing any results? This guy's yeah. a scam artist, you know?" Like you As can't a guy who that. teaches, I know most people don't finish the course, you know. It's it's ridiculous. Like 90%. Yeah, it's something stupid like 10 to 16% or something people right. actually finish I, it. But then like at some point I got to the point where like if I was interested in, in a course, I would just buy it. Like yeah. now if I see an ad, I'm like, oh, 500 bucks. Okay, here's 500 bucks. I may not ever open it, but like I, I've just gotten to the point now where it's, it's such a habit to just make the decision to invest in myself because yeah. I would rather be the person that takes action than the person who's paralyzed by action. Uh, have you heard of AppSumo at all? Do you know what AppSumo is? Yep. Mm -hmm. I've spent over... Just about 12 grand now on AppSumo because every time I'm like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to use this, but I could use this in the future. And lifetime yeah. deals like really get me because it's like, I don't know who knows if I'll have money in the future, but I'll have this, you know, yeah. tool. Uh, and it's been super useful. I mean, the, the podcasting platform I use, all sorts of things. Um, but it's, and I'm also kind of like a neophile. I love the new stuff. So, like, I can't wait to really try out your uh, platform because I've, I've done. Some of the other ones, I'm friends with Alex, uh, who does yeah. Podmatch and stuff like that. Great but, dude, and uh, he is a great dude. And it seemed like he had the similar problems as you, where he they thought the thing that would be difficult was getting, uh, or at least they thought the supply demand would be different in terms of guests and hosts. Fundamentally, a host can do a lot more guests, but a guest needs hosts in order to 
Right. Well, because there's so few, there's so few shows compared to people who need traffic. Yeah, there's a lot of people who want to be guests. People who need traffic is almost unlimited. I mean, you have authors, you have online business owners, you have SaaS founders, like you have coaches, consultants, experts, mm-hmm. uh, you know, agencies, like all these people that operate the majority of their business online and can do business in any of the 50 states or really global or worldwide. I mean, there's millions of these people now. And there's only, you know, like we talked about at the beginning, a half a million podcasts that are active. Yeah. Half of those don't even take guests. Half of those don't have any traction half of those are in different genres. Like you whittle it down. It's like, okay, well, there's really only like 10,000 shows that would service this group of people. And there's 2 million people that want to get on those shows. Yeah. I remember looking up the metrics. It was like, if you have more than 26 downloads in the first month or week, whatever it was, it was like, you're in the top 50% of podcasts. I was like, that's insane. Right. It's just compared to like YouTube views or whatever. It's like such a different world to live in, in terms of expectations and stuff. So Mm -hmm. my goal is just to get to a hundred episodes because I knew if I just keep making stuff or it was an unofficial goal because Seth Godin, if you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he used to say, if you have a hundred episodes, he'll be on your podcast no matter what. Oh really? And I've since talked to him. He said, that's no longer true and stuff like that. So now my goal is to get him before a hundred. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we'll see how that works. But uh, I've already, I mean, I've took a bunch of his courses and stuff. He's such a great guy. I love the way he thinks the way he uh, he's a brilliant marketer, expresses yeah. things, but also his empathy, like just the way he connects with people is uh is super awesome and so uh he's definitely someone who i emulate to want to be like but uh but definitely i'm not there yet so before you did podcasting what were you doing as like a full-time job i forget what you said you were door to door was that like cutco or something or what was that solar alarms and water purification um kind of different stages over like four or five years of knocking doors so that's a lot of no's that's a lot of failure that's a lot of rejection oh yeah How'd you get used to that? Yeah, it's 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 training ground for rejection. Yeah. It's training ground for for failure. Was it easy for you or was it a struggle? You know, I I obviously don't do it anymore, so I didn't enjoy it a ton. I just enjoyed the paychecks. I enjoyed the opportunity. I enjoyed I was paid based on my performance. Mm-hmm. And that was easier for me to wrap my mind around than like taking a job where I was sitting next to somebody that was on their phone all the time or whatever, and they get paid yep. the same amount as me. Like, uh, no, I'm, I'm not about that life. You know, like if you, yeah. if, if, if I'm out there working, performing and doing really well, I get paid for that and I can get paid really well for that. Meritocracy is where it's at for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was, I was just very much in that mindset. So I, I worked hard to, to make good money while I was doing it. Cause it was hundred percent commission door to door sales. So like, yeah, I didn't like the rejection sucked, you know, it sucked to walk away, walk away from a day without a sale, good training though but oh dude i mean it's irreplaceable mm-hmm. it's irreplaceable like i uh, um i think it was not maybe not richard branson um john paul de maybe just because I, I know john paul de the the founder of patron tequila and paul mitchell he's worth like i don't know six or seven billion i know that he uh did door-to-door encyclopedias at the beginning of his, of his career and it's one of the two, like one of the like kind of big well-known billionaires basically mm-hmm. was like there, it's a better education to go door to door than it is to go to college. I would agree. Even though I've never done door to door, college uh, didn't give me as much as I thought, you know, <laughs> besides uh, uh, loans. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, it's just like, it, it's a, it's a matter of what skill sets, like you're always going to get paid for the value that you can bring to the market, mm-hmm. whether you're an employee or an employer you get paid for the value you bring to the market. So if you're an employee, you if you want to get paid well as an employee, you need to work on a skill that's a valuable skill 
to that company that allows them to capture more market share. Yeah. Like it, that that's what blows my mind about people who have like this entitlement mentality about like, well, I just deserve to get paid X amount of dollars an hour because I'm a human being. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. that's not how the world operates. You get well, like if your job can be done by three million other people, it's by definition in large supply. Mm-hmm. Like the, yeah. you're not going to get paid that much for that job. If you learn a skill that's different and 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 now there's only, you know hundreds of thousands of people that can do that job, then you get paid a little bit higher. You get a skill that tens of thousands of people can do that job. You get paid a lot higher. You know, that's why you have these fortune 500 CEOs that get paid these massive compensation packages because there are very few people who can do those jobs and do them effectively. So they get very well compensated for doing it. You know, like you increase your skills. Yeah. My problem was that. So I got really good at Excel but they're not going to ever promote that guy to be CEO because they're going to keep me doing Excel shit, you know? So I mean, like there's only so right. far you can get. Well, that's what I mean. Unless you start changing the skill set. Exactly. What's the new skill set then? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's managing a bunch of other people who can run Excel, you know, like it's, it's the ability to recruit and train and duplicate yourself and build out a department. That's a valuable skill set mm-hmm. that gets paid more money than the person who's like, entering the data into the spreadsheet. That's why I do the training now. Cause I don't even, when someone buys it, I don't even have to do anything. They just right. learn Excel from me and then they can go work in corporate America or whatever. Cause I'm, mm-hmm. they won't, they don't want me, you know, I've right. been fired so much. I mean, they, they literally <laughs> don't want me to. So it took me six times getting fired to go, all right, maybe I won't go there again. Or I'll try <laughs> to make it work outside of that right. because fundamentally they, it just doesn't work out. And there's multiple reasons, but I think in corporate America, especially, there's mm-hmm. a lot of politics. The politics. Yep. There's also so much ineptitude that's just really frustrating. And to have to do stuff when you know it's the wrong thing just because someone's telling you to do it. Yeah. So I just got good at the software and I was like, I'll fuck the politics. I won't care about that. And then I was like, I, I can't do that because it still doesn't work. You know, I can make the best budget of all time. Right. But if I don't know how to like play the game, mm-hmm. I'll eventually suffer. So, yeah. Um, and I'm from Boston. So like my tone sucks sometimes. I'll be like, oh, that's a terrible idea. You're not terrible. And like, that's the worst idea for ever heard, <laughs> you know, shit like that, where it's like, I should be, I should try a little bit more hard to, to yeah. notice how I'm saying it. And so that's, right. that's what I do the podcast for is to like improve a bunch of personal things that I'm bad at listening more. Right. Well, cause that's a new skill set. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Like if, if you like, if you, if you're like, if you're a leader in an organization and you're looking at like somebody that you can promote to manage this whole group of people, it's not about just being good at that skill. Mm-hmm. It's about how, like, how does this person communicate with the, with fellow employees? How does this person get other people on board for their ideas? Yes. Like how does this person effectively lead a team of people in a way that benefits the organization and our customers and the market? Yeah. Like that's a new skill set to learn, which, which yeah, it's a, compensates better. It's not easy either. And it's not, it's not easy. It's always about the comfort zone. You got to leave your comfort zone to build a new skill set, to learn something new that makes you a more valuable asset to the company if you're an employee or to the market if you're an entrepreneur or employer, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'd say even now it's even harder to get enrollment from people and buy-in from people because they have so many different totally. things distracting them. So totally. And currently in this market, it's an employee market. There's there's a surplus of jobs that are available and people have higher demands. So that skill set is a really difficult skill set. Like to be able to enroll people in the mission that you have without being like the boss or the manager mm-hmm. that like, well, you have to listen to me because I'm your manager and the organizational structure says that you report to me. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you're fired. Like yeah. that's not good leadership. Yeah. To inspire people is tough. Right. 
Right. That like um, Jim Rohn, uh, I was talking about. Oh yeah. Said, Tony Robbins, this guy. Yeah. Right? Leading people, leading people effectively or something. He's like, it's like herding cats. And if you can, if you can master that skill set, he goes, you'll get paychecks that you can't even imagine because that is a difficult skill to master. And you have to evolve yourself. You have to do learning outside of what your work assigns to you. Like you, like it has to be something within you that desires mm -hmm to learn this new thing that makes you a more valuable individual. But so many people just want the blueprint or they're like, oh, how do I get to success? Like what's the. <laughs> right. Or they want to just do the thing that they do. Right. So like you see this in sales all the time where it's like mm -hmm. that people like someone will promote the best salesperson in the room to be the sales manager. And that's not always the best decision. No, you might want them to do in sales still and have a manager who can inspire them to be better or whatever. Well, not even just that, because maybe that person just hasn't built the skill set to manage people. They only have the skill set to sell. Yeah. So like, if you can't, like, those are not mm -hmm. the same skill. And then you lose your best salesman. <laughs> yeah. Right. And everybody on the sales team is like, I don't like working for this guy because like, he's such a high performer that he just expects us to do this, but he doesn't tell us how to do it because he thinks that we should already know. Like, yeah. They, like, or, or, you know, you know, she, she just demands this crazy thing of us and, and without telling us how to achieve it or, you know, without training us to, to learn from her, like how, how, do, how am I supposed to perform in this environment type of thing? It's like, it, it's, it's, it's not the same. It's not the same skill. Yes. That person I think should have kind of like first, first whack at it because they're the top performer. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like a lot of salespeople are better just being salespeople and the manager is better being a people people mm -hmm. um, because they know how to build and train killers. And uh, they're, they're, they're good at that thing. Yeah. And once you're 10 years into like uh, being a salesperson or something, it's really hard to forget what it used to be like when yeah. you didn't know it so that you can bring totally. those other people to where you're at. Right. Which is part of the skill, right? Like yeah, it's for me, that was, that was a difficult transition. It was like, I, I'm pretty naturally good at, good at selling things. So how do I, how do I extrapolate the knowledge that I have mm -hmm. from the natural ability that I have and actually get other people to perform on a similar level to the level that I'm performing on. Yeah. It's tough. And that's a different volume. It's like a pickup artist trying to tell people how to, <laughs> to how to get date. Like it's a lot of it comes so naturally to you. It's hard to like, think of how do I teach this to somebody, you know? Yep. Um, so before we get to uh, the last couple of questions, which are more forward looking, is there any other thoughts on failure or historical stuff before we get into like the, the now and the future? Yeah, I just go back to kind of what I said at the beginning to hammer it home is failure is nothing if you're committed to the long-term result. Um, yeah. Because that's where people mess up is the failure makes somebody quit when they are halfway in mm -hmm. for the long-term. It's like they have this mentality where it's like, well, I'll work on this business for a while, but um, I'll only give it like 100% for 10 years or 20 years if it takes off in yeah. year two. Or they'll self-sabotage or something. It's like 97% of businesses fail within 10 years. It's not going to just magically take off. Mm -hmm. If you're not committed to the process, then you're probably going to be part of that 97%. But it's great because it makes a nice high barrier to entry. And then people like us who just keep with it will eventually get there. We'll eventually get there. It's That's the thing. Is It's always, for me, it's like, it's just a matter of when. It's not a matter of if. Yes. It's a, it's a matter of when. I'll, I'll keep doing this even though it's painful, even though it hurts, even though it gives me stress and anxiety, I'll keep doing this until I'm, until I make, until I make it happen because I don't see another option for myself.
Yeah, you know, it's just like, a stepping stone on the way to success, which right. has yet to be found, or at least on my side. But I'm saying, like, I know that it's on the right path towards that. Right. And as long as you know that, then you there's no reason to stop. Exactly. Um, so being a guest on the show, you get a get out of fail free card. I'll hand you this Doyle Brunson, sorry, Doyle Brunson, Russell Brunson, a funnel hack or whatever the hell this thing is. Uh, so I'm going to hand it to you. Take it, though, uh, digitally, please. Thank you. Okay, so get out of fail free card. So just like the Monopoly card, except nothing like the Monopoly card, it's a thing. So if, is there a passion, a hobby, an interest, something that you've avoided doing, being in the NBA or some playing basketball? I don't know. Is there something that if you got to get out of fail free card, you would cash that in to pursue some sort of a uh, hobby or a dream that you might have avoided the amount of failure involved? Um, well, I mean, I was a big basketball player growing up. I was going to be in the NBA, but I never like actually thought it was a pursuable career path. Um, with a uh, with this card, you could get there. Uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. You can figure. I I just made that up. I didn't know you had any uh, basketball skills at all, actually. Yeah, but if I had to, if I like, if I was gonna pick a sport, though, I think it'd be golf. Oh um, yeah, yeah. I think I think if I could use that and like immediately be on the PGA tour, I think that would be just an awesome way to make money. I think if I was gonna be a golfer, I'd have to pay a bunch of people to watch me. Cause that's my biggest thing is like when everyone's watching you, like if I'm alone, I'm still shitty at golf, but I'm better. But then if you put like 10,000 people watching me, I, yeah. there's no chance I'm going to hit it. Good. So I'd have to pay a bunch of people to watch me be shitty for a long time yeah. just to get yeah. over the the hump of that. But so do you play a lot of golf or no? Uh, not as much as I would like to for a while there, almost like a full year I was playing, like trying to get out like once a week, but uh, the last like six months I've just been so busy. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gotten out maybe once in the last six months, unfortunately. It's great. It's one of the few sports or things that you can drive around a little cart, drink beer. Yep. Uh, I used to drive a beverage cart for a golf course. So I'd get to drive around and sell. Oh, nice. I didn't get as many tips as the women, but I yeah. did, uh, you know, smuggle some beers into the woods every so often. I was like 18. <laughs> so, <laughs> and they didn't count them or whatever, but, uh, it was cool. Cause I just got to drive around, watch people golf and hang out. But my dad was a bartender there, uh, as well. So he, nice. I'm basically just trying to break free of the cycle that my parents were in, which is more like just survival mode and trying to figure out how to make it um, on a higher level type of thing. Yeah. But I like that. I like that move. So golf, you'd be on the, you'd be getting a master's jacket. Golf. Yep. The green jacket. That'd be the one. That'd be the one. Um, It's a good one. Um, And then what is the next thing you're going to fail at next? So I say, instead of fake it till you make it, I say fail it till you nail it. So What's the thing that you're going to, you don't know how it works or you're going to pursue it and uh, mess it up until you figure it out. Is it the guestio thing? Is it maybe something else? Yeah, probably YouTube or a book. One of those two things. Oh, nice. What a book about what? About networking. Uh, my show is called build your network. So the book could probably be the same name or something similar. Mm, I like that. I used to try to use not working. I like calling it not working mm. instead of networking. Cause it doesn't feel like work, you know? Yeah, but I feel like it seems like you're being lazy, so it's not a great branding <laughs> type of thing. Have you started writing a book at all, or is that just a nope, just an idea recently? So I just started writing a book, but the way I did it is recording my voice and then having AI transcribe it. I'm not great. I have ADHD, so like I don't read well. I, I do audiobooks, so I figured out I'll just spew into a recorder, yeah, clean it up, and then start you know doing it like that. So if you're ever like inspired, just uh, take out your voice memo thing and just start recording it because that could be the start of a book. I know, I think Dean Graziosi, who I mentioned earlier, he wrote, I think it's called the millionaires 
playbook or something like that, but he said he just winner success habits. Or that's something. the one. Yep. See, you, I knew you'd know better than I did, but he said he recorded the whole thing, uh, just talking into his phone and only in like a couple of weeks, I think. So yeah, it's nice. a, it's a good way to do it. So where should I point people to go to see what you're up to these days? Uh, where can they find you? Where can they connect with you? Yeah. Just my site. My site's a good spot, just travischapel.com, C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L, travischapel.com. You head over there. Um, you can see all my social links. Uh, you can find Guestio over there, apply for coaching. There's a bunch of different stuff that you can do. So travischapel.com is a good, good spot. Very cool. And then Guestio, G-U-E-S-T-I-O.com. Yep, that's the one. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Travis. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know um, I'm on the opposite end in terms of uh, downloads that you're at. I mean, I'm happy where I'm at, but it's nowhere near uh, the levels you're talking about. So I appreciate you taking the time to just the beginning, man. Do it. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm here for the ride, but um, I'm going to start using your, uh, your site more. Cause I haven't even yeah. given it a real world. Do it, man. Try it out. Let me know what you think. And I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing some of your uh, stories here. And I cannot wait for the listeners to hear it. Would you like to be more efficient, productive, and confident in your work at the office? Over 750 million people worldwide use Excel, yet it's still a misunderstood and frequently misused tool. That's why I created Excel Exposure, so you can work smarter and not harder. The Excel Essentials course gives you over 5 hours of in-depth video lessons, plus it comes along with my master workbook which has every function, shortcut, and all the examples to follow along. Investopedia actually included my course in their list of six best online Excel classes of 2021, saying it's best for visual learners. As someone who's an expert in failure, I can certainly teach you and your team how to avoid spreadsheet failures and create bulletproof Excel documents. Use the coupon code FAILURE for 20% off of the lifetime access price. Visit ExcelExposure.com for more information and also my existing award-winning free training. Thanks for joining me on the Failure Guy podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to tell somebody. And don't forget, always try to fail it till you nail it. Till next time.